Hello, everyone. I'm Nish, and I'm here with... Hi, I'm Amy. I am the hostess at the Cosmic Salon, and Amy is one of the co-hosts. I'm with Meredith of The Gold Pill. Yes. The Gold Pill Podcast. Because we talk so much about the stuff behind the scenes, we've decided to have a little spinoff baby between us, between our shows. So basically what this is, is our private conversations and ponderings into some of the stuff going on in pop culture around us. And everyone gets some of that from our independent shows, of course. But I think... And Amy, I think, feels the same way. We have something that might be very entertaining for people that delivers the woo, that may be delivering threads of inquiry that other people may not be seeing or giving a different slant. And so we're very excited about this. The show is going to morph into one that's a video show, so we will be able to use and show clips of what we're talking about and video clips and images so that we can break things down in a deeper way. But until then, we had to take this opportunity to come in and let the Oscars be our inaugural kiki, if you will. And so I know I'm very excited. Amy, how are you feeling about this? I'm really excited because when we picked the Oscars to do, we were kind of like, oh, man, this is going to be a snooze fest, but we know it'll be have something in it. So we'll listen or we'll watch. And then we ended up watching it. And it was such an event that really kind of shook the culture. And um, I can't think of a more exciting way to start off the show, quite honestly. Yeah, I agree. This is coming in. It's like March in like a lion. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so I think we should start with the beginning really here and looking at who sponsored this and who came on board to host it, who was writing and producing it. And so we have a little bit of those notes. Do you want to uh, lead us into that, Amy? Well, yeah. Um, let's see who sponsors it. It was this year. It was sponsored by Verizon. It was sponsored by Rolex, sponsored by <laughs> Pfizer, of course, and then another bio in tech or something. Yes, it was something like that. So it was laced and lathered with all sorts of like juicy things that are it's, it's going to be brought to you by all of these like new concepts. I was kind of put to sleep initially by the Rolex piece, but as I looked into it deeper and deeper, I started realizing the guy that started Rolex is a very interesting man who is of Bavaria. But Rolex itself, if you would believe it, is a nonprofit. So they are actually run by a board, and there is no owner of Rolex, and it's run. It used to be run out of the uh, the United Kingdom, but now it's run out of Swiss. There we go, Switzerland. Yeah, it's run out of Switzerland. Yes, and so um, hello, CERN. Very interesting, (laughs) CERN. Yes, of course, Um, and then Swiss Beats, which is also like a big piece with the music. So Rolex was interesting because the time piece and how time is playing into everything. And quite honestly, with the set that was, did you see the set this year? I wasn't sure how much you caught of the show. I certainly did. Yes. (laughs) So that set was fascinating because it did look like the Collider at CERN, which was interesting, but it also played into James Bond. And the thing about being a nonprofit in the Swiss area is that you don't have to disclose much about anything. So it's running as a nonprofit and it's donating money or giving money to the arts 
and sciences, basically. And beyond that, it's very, I'm, I'm not like a huge researcher, but it was very difficult to kind of just in a general research find anything about it. So I thought that was really interesting and in how they've been wor- working with the Oscars, I think since 2017. And then of course um, there were like even medication jokes kind of peppered throughout the entire thing, you know, which sort of, I don't know, they use humor a lot. Everyone's on medication. Everyone I say in, in, in finger quotes, but it's interesting how so it's so pervasive in the culture that it's like funny and humorous and it's something that everyone can relate to. It's relatable enough to be on the Oscars. I found that interesting. If you just do the quick search, it's obviously it was run through ABC and, and Disney was mm, the one mm-hmm. selling the slots for advertising because Disney is, of course, involved in everything. That's That could be a different show for us later down the road, everyone, where we start breaking down the involvement between BlackRock and Disney and how our reality is being laid out for us by some of these big players when we start getting up to the top of the pyramid. And speaking of the set, the pyramids were there and they were gold and they were silver and they were in almost a, a state of augmented reality, the way the lasers were moving around. I found that very interesting. Of course, Oscar is in the middle of those pyramids and This is definitely giving us the signal about the world is a stage. Everything's a Mm -hmm. stage. It's all ritual theater. And at the top, at the capstone, we have Oscar. And so 94 years later, this is all very significant. And as we move deeper. 94, is it? So that would be what, 13? Like if you. Right. Which is four again. And so then we have the three become the four, the gates of the avatar in the Bible and in alchemy and all this. So as we start breaking this down a little more, maybe some of these points that don't seem connected will come together for people. But this is kind of the foundation this is based upon. And then, of course, it was rolled out to us that we were going to have the triple goddess representing. We saw it with the mother maiden and crone, which we had the two black girls. Of course, who's the mother? Obviously, it's Amy Schumer. She's, you know, just had... The mother. Right. And the crone is obviously Wanda Sykes. The maiden... Regina Hall. Regina Hall, thank you. So when we look at that, it was the two in one. So two thirds black are Pac, Mm -hmm. uh, one third white. I did see in some of the commentary, and I tried not to front load too much as I was looking for all the the clips of the piece because I couldn't find it fully uh, streamed anywhere for free. So I went through all the clips I could of the actual Oscars and the the show before and some of that I saw a lot of signaling that was mm. interesting from the field about say when they were talking about Will Smith and we going to break that down uh, but mm. some pox in the field talking about how among other things the optics but Will Smith hitting slapping someone in a room full of white people. And I thought, isn't this interesting? Because the very first thing I thought of watching Mm -hmm. the red carpet, and I did watch some of that live streamed when it was happening. And then looking at the Oscars, looking, spanning through 
to see who's there mm-hmm. and the audience. It was a sea of pox. So from, you know, had a heavy turnout with, of course, people of darker skin, but not just darker skin pox. So we had a lot of Jewish people. Of course, it's Oscars and that goes without saying. Uh, yes. And then there was a good absolute major Latin America turnout and um and and celebration and then you know a good Asian turnout and like I said with the two thirds of our hosts I'd say not even a third was white, but then we did have those representing. And so I think for me one of the highlights of those was Nicole Kidman. And yes. I I think this is a good place to just get started with this. So the one of the first couples I saw on the red carpet was Nicole Kidman with her husband. And mm. you know, he's a famous country star, isn't it Keith Urban yes. or something? Keith Urban, yes. And um and so she made some very strange comments. I don't know if you saw that, but she's like I didn't. Yeah, it was very awkward and strange and she's like, "Well, you know, my husband you know, he flew in and at one o'clock in the morning, like she did, like it was a surprise. There was this weird tone in her oh, voice. Brother. Yeah, it was a weird tone, like there's trouble in paradise or uh, she needed the emotional support or something. They were awkward. They were very, very awkward. They weren't all lovey-dovey like always. And yeah. I think she was trying to play it off. Like how great is he that he flew in at one in the morning, but it had accusation written all over it. Like she couldn't save face there, even though who is Nicole Kidman anymore? She's like Madonna and Beyonce. Whose face is that? You know, because she's in her 50s and it's it's more than, yeah, it's more than Botox and it's more than filters out there on the carpet. And Uh so it's more. And that's a whole sub narrative that we will be tying into our show yeah, in general. I have lots to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so we will get right into that here in a second. So or later with Nicole Kidman, after at one point they are clapping, I I don't know, someone went, there's a, a pan over to her and she's got his jacket on. So she's obviously chilled, but there's, yeah. she grabs her legs like she's going to sit back down but there was something awkward about it and I, I noticed it the body language and what I psychically tuned into was something's not right with her health wise or something wasn't right Amy and it was something to do with what I was looking at was a physical anomaly in her field and so I don't know if she's not well I mean for God's sake, I don't even know if it's her. And so there was something awkward in her physical language there. So all in all, she in general gave off very strange energetics there all night. Every time you get a pan, there's, um, you know, they show when she was shocked over Will slapping Chris Rock and all this. And so that struck me. It was a very key point in in this somehow and i'm not sure fully because it's just come to me i'm just putting my eye on it but there's something going on there so we here at the prima donnas of the gutter which is the name of our show y'all we are going to be diving into that kind of thing and that's what you can expect from us we're going to get deep into the woo so what did you see going in with this kind of stuff you wanted to talk about nicole kidman it sounded like 
Well, Nicole Kidman's always just an interesting character to me because of who she plays and how she is used sort of by the, the, the Hollywood system to portray like the, like kind of like the goddess empress sort of energy. And as she ages and whoever is she, um, yeah, it gets weirder and weirder, but sort of to speak, I was watching some of the red carpet looks go through like Kim Kardashian. I didn't see her there, but it looked like she was, she went there according to her Instagram. And there was a very futuristic vibe to all of the silhouettes of all of the clothing. There was, it was, I think Billie Eilish had like a really kind of oversized, but like very, it's not tailored, but very like crafted for just her. And I think the artist, her had it. And this, the silhouettes are new. The aesthetic is new. And all I, we haven't had an Oscars for two years and we haven't had an Oscar since sort of the mentioning of the great reset. And I thought this was such a perfect microcosm of that, the, the reset, because first of all, there was this huge theme with bond. And the, um, as I mentioned, the set looks like the collider, but it also looked if you've seen the bond, logo you've heard the bond movies you know like it's the it's like the circles like closing in on each other and bond is like this very um i've seen lots of people do work on bond and so he has a lot of like masonic sort of ties and he has a lot of like ties to i think the tubal cane sort of like with the 007 so he has like a really patriarchal thing and right as the pandemic happened they were supposed to be releasing the new bond which was going to be there is no more male Bond. It's now portrayed by a black woman. And so now Bond was released, I think, earlier this year with a black woman. We have the the Oscars coming out and where it's normally very patriarchal. They went out of their way this year to feature black women. I just felt like there was this real dark feminine energy sort of like, and I don't mean like, um, like dark, like mysterious, spooky, occulted. I just meant like, there's like a, there's like a divine feminine that's, palpable that's sort of in the air right now i saw this sort of as like a a a symbol of like we are ending the era of like like using sort of bond as the allegory right like we are done with the patriarchy and we are moving into this new direction of like where the white man was in charge now it's the black it's the invert it's the black woman and so even with the way the show started which was with beyonce and the reverence they had for the movie with Serena and Venus, which Will Smith was ultimately awarded, I think, after the year for, right? Yes. It was, there was so much archetypal energy at play. Anyways, I've said a lot. I just want to hear what you have to say. Well, this is significant. And anyone that has been following the procession of the equinoxes and Jung, Jung's work, this mm-hmm. Jung talked a lot about how this and the idea of an antiodramia, how the pendulum swings from one side to another. And we see this clockwork mm-hmm. with the equinoxes, with the, the, the shifting of aeons. And so as we move out mm-hmm. of the Piscean eon, so the Piscean eon brought in the, pa- the, you know, the patriarchy of the last 2000 years. And of course, yes. when we started to get the signaling in the sixties of the dawning of the age of Aquarius and of course, people are, in the seventh house, girl, at girl. Right. <laughs> and so when we started to get the sixties movement, we start of, of, uh, equal rights for women, but that really had started in the suffrage movement of the early yes. 1900s. And so we saw that really amp up in the sixties. And then here we are. And, and remember, we're, 
swinging from one opposite to the other. That's the enantiodromia. So as we move further away from the patriarchy, we're moving in a direction towards a new matriarchy. However, Aquarian energy is a new flavor of the matriarchy. It's a, it's a, it's more, this is why the LGBTQ situation's really big. This is why the trans everything is big. This Mm -hmm. is why there's a blending and melding of what is sexuality, what is gender, uh, wherever you, and we're not, we're not getting political on this. We're just addressing that this is Mm -hmm. the movement that's happening in the collective. And so, Depth psychology has really addressed this ad nauseum, and so I'm not going to go there, but we are now seeing the effects of that. This is clearly the time of women. Women are taking p- power everywhere, and in, and people who know their depth psychology understand that these energies are actually principles, the female principle, the male principle. You can be an animus-possessed woman. What I mean by that is you can uh-huh. be cisgendered, you can have been born a woman, but be completely have the contrasexual self, the masculine principle, yes. uh, be your forefront of functioning in the society. So you come off as a very strong, hard-hitting woman. The kinds like meeting this person's uh, like meeting a Mack truck, right? And so yes. the masculine principle doesn't give a shit about what your body is. And this is why there's so much confusion about non-binary and all these flavors because we're talking about energetic principles. And so right. it is a time of women. We're moving into that. And a lot of these women in in the forefront of these movements were animus possessed women. They had to be to get along in the good old boys club. Yes. Whatever you want to think about it, what we're just pointing out these ideas. And so yes. so we're seeing that everywhere. And it was definitely on front stage here, of course, with our hosts uh, hostesses and mm-hmm. and then as we started to talk about these things it became very clear to me that the the voice here of the oscars was very pock was very lgbtq plus mm-hmm. and was very uh the the color schemes were very jewel tone but heavy with silver and gold a lot of silver mm-hmm. and gold which also has always been traditionally kind of futuristic they're really showing silver and gold lames in the 20s in the 1790s and this is this breaks down to the alchemical side but it also breaks down to opulence and again it breaks down to the polarities of principles and so that was one thing one of the things that struck me with Beyonce opening and of course Blue Ivy out there representing and they're in Compton is the fact that they're all with the Beyonce part they're all in yellow and I couldn't help but notice this is just my Mm -hmm. eye and I don't know if it's something to do with my age in the realm or what but there is a term in African American society an old black term Mm -hmm. and it's called high yellow and the high yellow people were of so this is this is actually a form of value within the black community here in the past and it's a Mm -hmm. it's a racism within the community so those that were the more high yellow and i do that air quotes the more white passing they were the more 
the more privilege they got. But if you look at High Yellow, there's lots of songs about it. Eartha Kitt was always talking about it. High Yellow's a thing. It's a thing out there. Creole people, High Yellow. So that's what I'm saying. That that term has kind of disappeared, but it's not because Beyonce has made it her goal to bring up ideas around slavery in America with her, you know, in, in her art. She sure has. And yes. this has been one of her talking points. This is one of the things she's spearheading. Well, she also brought it there with the arrow and then all her main girls in, and they're in yellow and all her mm-hmm. main girls there were high yellow. They were very, very light skinned as opposed to when blue Ivy's coming in and all that we had the, mm-hmm. on the black horse and we had the um, darker skin people representing out in the we talk about the dark horse yes and and the stream (laughs) so we're in compton right and they're out in the streets of compton on the dark horse with the darker pox and this was absolutely significant this is how we start the show and on a dark horse i'm gonna let you take that away for a minute well, I just thought the dark horse was so interesting because to me, it's like this thing that comes out of nowhere. And it's like the women's movement hasn't come out of nowhere. And what I mean, the, the women's movement, I'm not speaking of like the performative, the the social control. The one that we're speaking of is like the pendulum swinging, right? The one that's like energetically momentum going to happen. And it's just really interesting because um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, my, my man watches a lot of like stuff that reviews like comics and sort of keeps its eye on the culture around like Disney and stuff. And there's a lot of people noticing that the same like predominant theme of POC culture and like, I don't, it's not like eradication of white people, but it's a lot less white people on the sets and just sort of what that means. And there's a lot of interesting sort of discourse around that. And so it's it's interesting to me that she was on the dark horse probably for a different reason than you're going with simply because it sort of is like this thing that came out of nowhere in the last two years. It wasn't there. It came back. It got rid of the. I mean, it seemingly like got rid of the man. That's how I looked at it. It's like the whole thing was now being run under like in the fashion of a woman right down to the real housewives slap that Chris Rock took. You know what I'm saying? Like it felt like a woman's production. It felt like a woman's way, not a woman's way, um, a sacred feminine sort of occulted way of thinking about things, a real like blending of things. It didn't have like a real clear, this is this. And that is that it was, everything was like a stew. It was a real mix of energy. And so you had, I was calling it sort of affectionately reality mythological TV because you have these like huge archetypes and you have all of these, like this, let's see, you have the archetypes and then you have the producers, in my opinion, sort of how this worked is like things were allowed to happen. Like it sounds like Chris Rock's, you know, joke that he made was written for him. And I think in my opinion, what happened is that was slipped to Will Smith and Will Smith was able to kind of stew on that and react and they allowed him to react. And I think they knew that would bring back energy. I think that there was a lot of reasons that was allowed to happen on an archetypal level as well. And I just, um, yeah, it's a stew of energy. It's a total, it's, it's a mix, it's a blend and it's like a dream, right? What's the dream? What's real? What's not. 
And I feel like that's just where we are as a culture. It was a real holographic, like a uh, reflection of everything that's going on. And that's what the dark horse was, is like, here we are, baby. <laughs> we're here. We're in the dream now. (laughs) Yes. The dark horse, the idea of the dark horse has a lot of connotations in the field. And so the dark horse, if you're racing is the underdog, it's the one Mm -hmm. that you think might win possibly. And so it's keep your eye on that. Don't take your eye off the dark horse. There's also the idea. So we'll get to the obvious here in a minute, but there's also Mm -hmm. the idea of the shadow hand. There's also the idea Mm -hmm. of the black Pope. This is the idea of what you can't see. And now more colloquially, we have it with the black goo. And again, and I just want to, I want to see this as a, a period here. The fact that Kim Kardashian was there was, I never saw her at all. And so that was very much played down. And I think, of course, it's intentionally played down. I did see shots of Kanye. So I'm going to leave that there, but I want to go to the obvious with the black horse. Now, what do we know about the black horse in Revelation or in the, you know, in biblical context? The black horse is the third horse. So we're well in the process when the black horse shows up, right? The black horse is also carries the scales and there's a, there's a big deal here with, with that as well. And you got to understand we, we topped this off talking about the two black women and the one white woman. The scales have tipped. We talked this, we talked about this with, how it's a woman's world now and it's an LGBT POC world Ugh, yes. now. So the scales are tipping. We've got the symbol of the black horse coming in. And of course the black horse represents death. And then we move into, and I'm going to, we're going to get into the obvious for everyone out there waiting. We will be tearing down the main event, but you've got to understand everything is part this whole event really is about the bitch slap as opposed to the punch. Girl, you just said it. (laughs) The bitch slap. So this, every sense of the world. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So that ties into all this, but let's, let's look at how they open the circle or open the ritual. So we, we know immediately we're looking at black horse imagery. It's on the streets of Compton child. And Mm -hmm. you know, that's been broken down in nauseam again, everything Compton represents is uh, very rich for people that look at these things through the eyes of the symbol symbolic overlay. So we're going to leave that alone. We could take questions on that later some somehow. But what do we have? We have the yellow opening with she who is Beyonce but is not Beyonce, the 12-year-old Beyonce, and (laughs) the 12-year-old clone. Anyway, so we start out with an arrow. We've got all this high yellow imagery, and she serves it. She serves it up. You know, Beyonce is one of the greats, and, you know, we can all give it away. This show isn't about saying, wow, Beyonce looked beautiful. Wow, what about that dress on her? This show is not on that level. If you want that, go to TMZ. So what is it? She's got this yellow dress that is mermaided, and this will tie into Jada's dress. So Mm -hmm. it's one side hanging off one side, basically, with, of course, her classic beautiful 
silhouette. You know, I, she's got one of my favorite body types out there. I love it. Kim Kardashian serves it too. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? You mentioned it already. This is the goddess body type. This mm-hmm. is high goddess form. This is an emaciated woman. This isn't uh eating disorder woman. This is woman exalted. This is woman mm-hmm. with hips and ass and tits and a small waist and long hair. And the hair is a big deal here when we get talking about the main event. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break into that. Here we go. We got the arrow the black horse, the arrow with the high yellow imagery, and nobody represents high yellow energy like Beyonce. And what does she, what is she known for being? Queen B. Mm-hmm. And so, and she's of oh. course the crown princess. She's the crowned queen of of this. Of this, she mm-hmm. is the dark. She is the black Madonna. So we have the other queen, the other side of the token, mm-hmm. which has always been Madonna. She is that queen. And she, nobody's dethroned her yet, but we have her counterpart as no. the black Madonna, which is of course the high yellow Beyonce. This is all trying to get at a narrative. So. I want to just for a minute, I know in a lot of Jay-Z songs, he talks, makes reference to Black Madonna. Um, He does a lot. He has a whole song called Justify My Thug, which is like basically the Justify My Love. Um, So he obviously has a lot of like ties to this sort of goddess energy. And like you can tell with all of this music that he does. So the idea, I just want to like lay it out there extra thick for the audience that this is... It is, it is not just legitimized by the people like he, at this level, these people legitimizing themselves by doing. So the fact that Jay-Z would pick Beyonce after singing about like the black Madonna or whatever for so many years, it's just, it's, it's so perfect. Do you, I don't know how else to say it other than like, it just fits in so seamlessly. And it's one of those things where I don't know if it's happening on purpose or like they really are like anointed with some sort of otherworldly energy. And like they, they're not, you know, they're not in control of themselves or what, but they're, they are living out, they are talking about these archetypes, like in their songs. And then they are like living out their quote unquote, like dreams, the things they've talked about in their music through their lives. And you'll see this reflected over and over again, but like Jay-Z was looking for, the black Madonna before he met Beyonce, he met Beyonce and like that melded together. I mean, I think she was always presented as that anyways, but before she was Beyonce, she was Beyonce Knowles, you know, like head singer of uh, destiny's child. So he had a lot to do in my opinion with her status elevation, which people are going to hate because it's all about the goddess energy, but there was sort of, and that maybe that power exchange, which took place. in like, I guess the, late nineties, early two thousands. That's when that sort of happened. Then getting together, maybe that, you know, honestly the millennium turning over is very significant as we're going to speak on that as far as the, the pendulum ultimately swinging in the beginning sort of, of this new era. And to clarify for people that may not know this, it's the layers here. When we're talking about all this stuff, we are talking about layers. So when we're looking at say the four horsemen. And when I'm talking about the black Madonna, she's the, the other side of the coin, but let's look at this religiously. There is a black Madonna, many in the world. They're Mm -hmm. venerated. I collect them. I have always loved them. The Madonna of Maserat and all, all of them all through Spain and Portugal and the Philippines. It's a recognized icon in the Catholic world that 
brought into the fold for people that were being colonized for, I mean, lack of a better term, into the Christian narrative that came through at the beginning of the Piscean Eon 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago. And this stuff is like clockwork. So you could see it just like now we're moving into a new eon and the symbols mm-hmm. are changing. So when we're talking about the Black Madonna on one level, we are talking about the spiritual aspect of it, the great yes. mother. We are talking about yes. the mother of God. Yes. And so just like our the Madonna Ciccioni from Detroit, she is representative. She's made her career on playing the religious Madonna, but also playing herself and her as a human. And so this is what brings the idea of a higher narrative into the physical plane. These are the narratives that play out for the common folk that may not be aware that these are symbols and that they're being controlled by these symbols. And the best way to control people in the old world, because these things are now changing, was through religion. And so this is part of this whole shift over. This is why everything has a dark cast and there's, you know, witchcrafts blown up and all that. And so it's all part of how this is shifting over. So we have our Black Madonna, who's really high yellow. I mean, they really should, but they... You know, we had, I believe it was Blue Ivy on the Black Horse. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know about that one, but um, I can't imagine they would, they feature Blue Ivy in literally everything since she's been about, you know, born, I guess. So. Yeah, I think, I think it was her and that was prominent. And, you know, she's dark. She's, she's representing, you know, a different skin tone than Beyonce. Yes. And so Jay Zombie, I mean, Jay Z. Uh, yes, uh, is prominent in this as well. And everything you brought in ties us into the deeper narrative going on here. And I don't want to really break down Beyonce's act more than that. It, you know, we can let other people do that, but it's, in, it's yes. very significant. And this is how we opened the show. And so yes. the show's open. We get this by the queen bee herself uh, in yellow. And there is also a prominent... Everything's jewel tone, as I said, but if you notice, mm-hmm. there's a lot of prominence played on blue and yellow. And so we have, mm-hmm. and so we step back a little bit and let's talk about Sean Penn. Uh, well, I, he wasn't, was he even there that, that night? No, he's, of course, funny. he's on the front lines in Poland, in Warsaw, but he oh. was all over the media and he's, yeah. he's a grandstanding for core. Which is yeah, and yep. Oh, go ahead, go in, go in. No, girl, you go there. We're we're well, we're gonna unwrap. I don't know what Corey is because that's not my that's not my thing. But I definitely did watch him make a complete ass of himself talking about. I don't even think he was nominated. That if he won, like he was, he was gonna make some political statement by smelting his Oscar. It was just like it was buffoonery, and he's he to me reads it's just like a complete asset and he's always doing work you know f- funny enough like you know not for movies but for you know the government i suppose <laughs> and he's uh definitely not who he seems to be but i want you to go in deeper because i want to hear more about core okay so core stands for community organized relief effort And if you look at the logo, it has basically a figure eight or an infinity symbol with open 
uh, it's not closed. It's not a closed circuit. Uh It's on its side. So it covers the C and the O and, um, okay. So it's worth some, it's, that's a whole different rabbit hole for us to go down some other time, but it, it is enough to know that he immediately upon all that drama that was being played out in Ukraine, and yes. and that's another show. We're not going to get bogged down with all that. But the fact that he comes in, because he's trying to do a documentary there, he comes in from the front lines of that all over saying he's going to smelt his Oscars. We need to uh, be a voice for Ukraine and all this. I want to underlie here that everything Sean Penn is involved in, if you start digging, you're going to find he's knee deep in all of the darker narratives with the Clinton Foundation. And now the immediate thing people should think when we start talking about the Clinton Foundation is the fact we're talking about part of the child and human uh, mm-hmm. trafficking mm-hmm. rings through, sure are, yeah. through Haiti and now Ukraine. And this is why we have Sean Penn there. He is a master at setting this stuff up and, and greasing the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that this was interesting grandstanding that he would smelt his Oscar. If we didn't include the brave president who is an actor and a comedian himself before he became that. So we've got to recognize these roles. These are, this is yet another example of the world blending that I keep talking about where Zelensky is an actor. He's a comedian. He's a performer. He's also like a world leader. You know what I mean? And so it's like, and I know that he like, didn't he, I don't know this. I read somewhere that he played a Ukrainian leader like on TV before he actually became one, which is like bonkers to me. And it's just another example of all the world is a stage. And I know that that's an old adage, but it's, it's like a new level of all the world is a stage. It's absolutely absolutely absurd. Well, and, and this is what, this is what we are talking about in our independent shows is, Yes. That we you you need to get your eyes on this and look critically at this, and I know there are a bunch of people that are paid by uh, organizations to try and silence what we're saying, but this really is there. If you start digging, you will see. And so I just hmm. we have to mention Sean Penn because he made such a to do about this, and then we see really prominent colors in there were yellow and blue, and it's in some of the yeah. advertising when we start looking at our hostesses. I was looking looking at a banner and it's got, uh, I can't remember. One of them's got a yellow background. One of them's got a blue. And I think Wanda's is a black, which also gave us some other maiden and crown. I believe Amy's was the mm-hmm. yellow um, for, mm-hmm. uh, no, wait, wait, it, 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 if you break it down, it's there that we're not going to get bogged down in that. So we need to definitely make sure that we understand that this was happening before this. It created more, interest and this whole thing like everything else i was gonna say is he was he bridges sort of hollywood and this war in this very seamless way because of the oscars being that night like the war in hollywood and it's sort of in the consciousness is sort of linked it's it's maybe not even it's kind of like subconsciously linked let's say like there's a tether there for sure Oh, yeah, there's a solid tether there. And so it's at play. And remember, this is all a fiasco. It's got everyone talking, right? And there's a, there were, there's analytics online. If you look, the, the, 
there was like hardly any viewership, right? I mean, I'm sure Tim Pool right. was getting more that night, Definitely. you know, last night than the Oscars were. And then the slap, and it, of course, everyone tweeted immediately. And then it went up to like crazy ratings, right? Because yes. everyone wants to see the newest show. Everyone, it's the bread and circus. And of course, all of this is diverting our attention from what's actually being played out. But this is what we're doing with this show. We are showing you that this is actually not a diversion. It's telling you what's being played out. This is as important. It's important to look at this stuff and see, actually, this is the theater. This is what's going to play out for people. So we're at the dark horse period. We're at the time when the lines between what is real and what is not real, what is augmented and not augmented is at play mm-hmm. here. We know this with 5G, 6 and 7, China's talking 8G now. Uh, mm-hmm. And so as we blur the lines of what is a man, what is a woman, what is color, what is race, who is race, etc., mm-hmm. this is all on the table and they're showing it to us. So that's when we get out of the arrow that's pointing us into into the mm-hmm. show. And so the stage that you brought up earlier is very interesting because there's a circle on the floor and then there's mm-hmm. the triangles with the Oscar in them. So in magic, you know, the circle is that which you cast and you either put something in there that can't get out or you put yourself in there for protection and then you yes. summon you summon the entity or demon or whatever you want to call it into the triangle. And so this was a reamalgamation of Oscar and that should be a whole different deep dive into the idea of what is Oscar everyone what is what is Oscar and that's not where we're going to go but we're presenting this question to you and so that leads into all these weird little jokes you know Amy Schumer they're talking about Florida the gay hey gay and um you know with her little her little situation there and the the signaling of representing all of basically Karen culture kind of treating Amy like a Karen which seemed to me as just like an extension of like humiliation to the one just the odd woman out let's put it that way it just seems like it's it's another way of like you're not one of the cool kids and she was fine with that and I'm fine with that but I just to 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 note it that she was we're just observers white woman Karen yes yeah yes Um, we're just breaking this down and so People shouldn't come at us for it. We're breaking down narrative. But, I mean, it was very clear, and it was made very clear in that dialogue. And then if you notice throughout the thing, it was mostly the two sisters and then Amy on her own. And so, oh, I noticed, you know, can I note this too? I was following their um, Instagrams for the last like week just because I thought, you know, we're doing this and they always, I mean, like for maybe because there was traveling, I don't know, but Amy never had a picture with them and they never had a picture with her. And there was many pictures where Regina and um, 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 Wanda were together and it was, they were just all three, unless it was on the stage, I never saw them together. And I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I mean, you know, that might say a lot more about Amy Schumer than it says about anything else. I think it's all constructed. Yes. Well, this is another thing for people that don't understand how these productions go off. So a lot of people don't understand how, you know, they rehearse like a wedding. This stuff is, it's not casual. It's, it's everything down to um, everyone has a seat double. Someone gets paid to be a seat double and you get paid 
nice money. Kim Kardashian goes up to go to the bathroom. They fill it with the seat double that's assigned to the seat. And so there's all this stuff. And again, remember, it was produced. I can't think of his name. It had a black producer and writer this year. Like we said, it was two thirds to one. And this is the shifting narrative that we're looking at. This is the shifting tides. This is the scales tipping that we get from the black horse. So let's move into some of these narratives now. I don't want to touch the slap. I want to I want to kind of give that the majority of attention because I do think and the stuff that I think we have is going to be worth that because of course everyone's talking about it. But let's talk about some of this other stuff. So Billie Eilish, let's look at this performance and the red carpet experience and her and her brother. And again, these were some of the token white people. Yes. Yes. Um, Billy, I, I didn't see her on the red carpet, but I did see her performance and I thought the name of the song was very interesting. It was called no time to die. It was just interesting given what we know about what I've said about the narrative of James Bond and like the shifting of the tides and stuff. It seemed, I don't know, very interesting. Billy Eilish is an interesting character. I posted something on the gold pill Instagram stories a while back of her doing a back bend and like making some crazy face. And a lot of gymnasts can do back bends and I still have to ask like Danny or Emily, but from what I understand, it's like very difficult to get out of a back bend by like getting back up, like using your core strength, usually kind of like cartwheel out of it, do like a backwards cartwheel or something. And she does that. And it was very, it was just like an energetically very weird trick. And it was like fan footage from a concert. So it wasn't, if it was, you know, a slight, some sort of illusion. It was very well done because it was, it, there was no need for it to be an illusion basically is what I'm saying. And so she has, um, Tourette's I think also, which is interesting. Um, TikTok is giving a lot of the Gen Z kids Tourette's. So there's this kind of new influx of Tourette's, which is of course a neurological condition. Um, and, and Jen's, she's very, um, our, very symbolic for Gen Z in that I think Gen Z is sort of uh, at this place where it has to accept that life is what it is. One of the, the the great Masons of our time wrote a book called Childhood End, Childhood's End, and that's where I think we are, which is there is no more mystery to kids as far as like what the life is because internet's out there, and this is what you get is a very over it, post ironic, you know, nihilistic iteration of a teenagehood and that's and that's it <laughs> billy eilish is very interesting to me yeah she's she's fascinating to me too and oh, also i'm sorry one last thing she's like you know i think very i think she shills very hard for pharmaceuticals just because she's so open open about her um Tourette's and also like her mental stuff you know and so a lot of these celebrities the young musicians that are in this kind of scene they talk a lot about all the medications they're on which sort of just doubles down and reinforces the, you know, the big pharma narrative. Right. And of course, as we know that Pfizer was on board here. So it's Arthur C. Clarke that wrote Childhoods and, and it's a very significant piece to dig into. And it's definitely out there in the zeitgeist. And it's definitely one of those narratives that's braided into our reality. So she's on the red carpet. Now she wore all black and she was Mm -hmm. very cleaned up for her. And she was also, 
out there representing black hair, which looked to me like a wig, which is not surprising. But I found that of interest because she doesn't, she's usually got, you know, she's a rainbow haired girl usually. And Mm -hmm. green, the, the crazy, the crazy green is kind of one of her hallmarks with the color. And Mm -hmm. so for her representing in, and I liked her outfit, actually. I really, I liked it. And I usually don't like her garb. She comes, I'm always like, what in the hell is going on with her? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But I thought she is did yeah. She did look elegant, and I did like her outfit. So she comes in with the dark vibe, right? She's very gothy. She came 100%. in with a, yeah, a gothy vibe, but also it had an Asian feel to it. And the, the coat she had was very big. And you probably didn't see that when she's on the carpet. She just had, there was just lots of layers going on mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and she was very cleaned up for her. And I know she's, there's been this effort because when she was kind of doing that Maryland stuff and all boobs and all that, they've been yeah. messing with different things going on with her. However, I, when I first encountered her, I thought this was a possessed person now from yes. day one and don't get me wrong i actually really enjoy her music i think i like mm-hmm. you know i make the crazy music and so i enjoy her music i am not a hater of hers but i recognize what i see and what i see is a vessel that whether yes. she is down with it or not whoever she is with this Tourette's and all this she's a vessel mm-hmm. and she channels these energies now we could call those demons if we want we could call them the the muse whatever but she is a vessel to a legion of other entities hence the Tourette's and mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to view her as such and so when she did the show, that was when I really, when she did the performance, that's when I really noticed that it felt like, and I don't know where she was in the lineup of that because I had to get clips. I had to look at just the musical performances, mm-hmm, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I it, think, honestly, Nish, if I recall, she was right before the slap. I mean, like very, maybe, yeah, because I remember thinking the whole because she kind of um they changed the the whole stage after she sings from the, from the in my opinion 007 theme to whatever the new theme is they have a whole stage change and then and then the slap happens and like it's a new era you know what i mean but like billy eilish closes out the whole they do like a whole tribute to bond and then she sings the song and then there's a commercial and then we go into the next um you know segment it was very interesting i mean which the, the whole thing played out exactly, you know, as a script. It was very, very, very fascinating. Down to, um, not to, we're just going to go there. You saw the TikTok I sent you that Will Smith had sent out, like, hours before the Oscars where he was doing this, like, photo shoot with his wife. And he says, basically, in his comments, I choose chaos. Mm, 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 mm. And then I looked to his comments to make sure I, I wanted to know when it was posted because they don't really tell you the time. And the comments went back, I think, five or six hours. So it was probably about like an hour before the Oscars started. And I just thought, what is this? What is this? And it's them doing these like crazy, you know, faces at the camera. It was, actually, you know, whatever. It's a normal TikTok, honestly, had everything not played out how it did. It would have been, you know, just a normal thing. But given how the pieces are falling, it was it's just so 
again, I don't think it was staged. I think that it was like things were set up and, and things were allowed to happen. And I think that, as you said, the, um, the, the entities, the, the spirits that are, that use these people as vessels basically to keep their narratives going. Um, I think that's what happened. I think that they all, it just kind of all coalesced into one thing and, exactly what was supposed to happen last night happened. I also think, um, it reminds me of like the Tupac biggie thing where it was like end of an era, new era. We're going to start it with a bang, which is, we're going to give them it's, we remember this. It was a real impression. Yes. And I just, and, and I looked up what a slap was, Nish, and a slap is something that is markedly not going to do a lot of damage, but done for effect. Like, that's why you would do a slap. And then, of course, it was the bitch slap, as you said. I mean, could you could it be any more tied up? <laughs> Absolutely. And then remember, during the vaudeville days, there was the whole thing called slapstick comedy. Yes. And so we, yes. you know, this is all tied in, and it, it, it's interesting because when we start looking, we start looking at these elements that may seem trivial, but when you're looking at it as a full piece. It's not trivial. And the I Choose Chaos is very interesting because that immediately takes us to chaos protocols and magic. And, of course, Hollywood is known for that. It's all about magic tricks. It's all it's all smoke and mirrors. It's yeah. all a narrative. And if we think about the idea of actors through historical context, we could actually take that back to Plato and look at shadows on the wall and we're not going to break that down now but i would like people to just get that in their ear to think about how the idea of projected images of things create a narrative and we get pulled into the narrative by actively viewing and what's real and what's not. And this can go straight back to Plato's cave, but we see it through the jesters and the jokers in Royal courts. We see it through mummers plays. It is all over. And, and of course, Rome and the, the cake and, you know, the Colosseum, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. This is our modern day version of it. And this yeah, is how it's cool. changing through everyone's black mirrors, which are their computers. So when we mm -hmm. look at James Bond, James Bond's now a woman. Uh, yes. And so we've got that narrative we were talking about with those tip scales and all the songs around James Bond are always about never going to die again. Um, you know, like the Madonna one, remember, I'll die another day, I think was Madonna when she did it. I'll die okay, another yes. day. Yes, yes. So I don't remember that one, but I know Adele did one. Like they're, they're iconic songs done by iconic artists. And, and yeah, the whole James Bond switching to me is so interesting because it, it's so clearly like does not work as a woman. Um, it's not written to be, and I don't mean that in a way that's like women shouldn't be doing it. It's like, if you, it's just written in like a cat of a man from like the 19 you know sixties, it's like not, it's not even like a man of today really. And so it's interesting. They, instead of just going on and doing something like much cooler with a woman or with a woman of color, whatever, they would cling on to this idea of James Bond and like invert it in such a way. I don't know. It's interesting because it could have been, the idea could be done so much better without the framework of James Bond. But yet like they, I don't think, they would even know what to do with it without that franchise to attach it to, you know, I don't know. Or maybe it's sort of a, 
I don't know, like a humiliation of its own. Like we're going to have a woman do what a man would typically do. I always try to see it from that angle. Like where, what is this achieving on like a a meta stage, you know? Well, it's part and parcel of everything we're talking about. And so like with the Bond stuff, traditionally, we've got to look back to the 1920s. We've got to look at Errol Flynn. That's another narrative for people to go down. And it's definitely a big rabbit hole, but Bond should stay I believe true this story. And when we're talking about the switchover of narratives, we can't leave out how this is happening. Why is it a POC woman? And so look at how they're, they're doing. And this is kind of a little side, side note, but it's part of the greater arc in which we are observing and part of by, if nothing else, observation is look at how they're now, they're old, for lack of better word, Caucasian historical context, they're putting pox in those roles. So mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. I mean, the English are very, very fair people. A lot of them are uh, in the UK and all this. You know, we've got Celts, we've got Pictish people that are darker, but still Caucasians, the Saxons and all this. And their narratives are being taken over by Pox now. So like Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII, the famous mother mm-hmm. of Queen Elizabeth I, uh, one of Henry VIII's wives, uh, the, she, uh, arguably, I think, a fan favorite of his wives mm-hmm. as well, who is very, very fair and known at court. For being very fair and very lovely, and um, she's historical context. She's a white woman. Sorry, it's the truth. It is historical right. context. This is the historical context of white people. So these are white people's stories and narratives, and yes. and now they have put out a movie where Anne Boleyn is played by. She's not even a light like almost white passing woman. She is a full colored woman, beautiful, fantastic actress, but it's skewing the narrative. And then also Merlin and Morgana and the Avalon stuff. This is this, sorry, this is white people's. These are white people's narratives. These are white people's cultural stuff and it's being appropriated. So now we've got uh, Merlin and Morgan Le Fay and all them. They've got pox in that, in that, story now they've they're putting pox all over they're erasing caucasians with with pox right and And it's go ahead go ahead and i'm saying that i always had a problem i want to say this with when in hollywood you know when they had elizabeth taylor playing cleopatra you know it's a they did a great thing with cleopatra but they could have cast an Egyptian woman and there were Egyptian actors then and they could have presented that in a better way but we are here at this place in consciousness where I think people are wanting the truth of narrative and so instead of pushing forward and overcoming what they're doing is they're erasing the Caucasian narrative and Mm -hmm. and replacing it and further I don't I don't know what the term they're further making it a very confusing narrative when there are amazing pock stories and people in the world in fact the majority of the world is pock and the minority is caucasian so why don't we talk about 
these narratives right. of real pox throughout history and shine a light on that instead of taking over and erasing the Caucasian stuff. And I'm just saying, I'm putting this out here. I'm not looking for a debate on systemic racism. Everyone's racist. And I opened up with that, with the high yellow thing within the black community. The lighter right. blacks always had more privilege. It's And it's still that way. So what I'm saying here with this idea of James Bond is not only yeah. is James Bond now a woman, James Bond is now a woman of color. And yeah. so to just get back to this, the idea of the messaging with James Bond, with these chanteuses that sing the songs for James Bond have always been, James Bond dies another day, not today, Satan. James Bond wins over the villains and the shadow hand. And so this idea of never dying around the mythos of James Bond is very strong, but it's extremely well placed in the narrative of the Oscars of last night, which we'll get into when we start talking about Will Smith. But what were you wanting to interject in that? You know, for for all I care, Amy Schumer may as well not even been there. She wasn't very funny and she wasn't very good. So just putting that out there, it has nothing to do with that. These are all just like objective sort of observations. To me, it seems like what happened when what a lot of people would claim like uh, white colonization took over would be like we took over white people. I'm white. Took over a bunch of stories and we did that. And so I find it interesting that it's being in this age where appropriation is super, super hot button, that that would be um, the the instinct to, to do that. But I also Eric July, who's a really great libertarian speaker, and he's on YouTube and stuff. He talks about this um, a lot because he is a he's a person of color, and he is putting together a, um, a a comic book. He has gotten tired of watching Disney just like let its fans down, and he's gotten tired of watching Marvel just get ruined because these are people of an age where they grew up reading comic books when they used to be upset. You know, like they they looked up to reading them, and they were all sort of like fantastic and stupid. So it wasn't really about like who it was. I mean, it was about superheroes. It's not really about what color people are, but he says that. Um, and so he's going to make his own comic book. And he says the problem with so much of this is that um, people want to go back and use the white narrative to like legitimize it. Cause it's been done through Hollywood and they should just be telling like the stories that, you know, like they, that they want to tell as opposed to like trying to recreate something. And I think that's really interesting because um, it does sort of just play into, it's like, let Hollywood is like a dying dinosaur and it's kind of and like the internet is clearly taking it over and watching something like this is really interesting because, because it's, um, it's still, it's like trying so hard to stay relevant in this age of like, everything is, you know, um, so quickly trying to get your attention. And just so, the idea that it would use the slap to sort of like bring us in our attention in did not um, shock me at all. I think that is what I, a lot more people are getting wise to this. And I think that's it is that there's this agenda here and that people are having a very natural inclination to fall away and fall out of line. And this is sort of like trying to control and capitalize on people falling out of line and getting them back into a new line. And that's, that's, I guess, the broader story of what I'm trying to say. This mostly affects the lowest common denominator because people that can synthesize information and can parse out what's what can see really how manipulated all this is. And 
Who better than the POC community to understand that when we look at how all the medical trials and all this have happened and they brought in a great amount of consciousness to this. And yet you still see people within the community saying, you need to do this. You need to represent this and trying to get them into this military kind of mindset against Black versus white, when ultimately we understand that we need to come together and people that are, that's why I said the lowest common denominator, intelligent people understand this and that we need to move forward. This is why I love Rihanna. She's always talking post, you know, post racial Mm -hmm. stuff. She wants to move on, at least all the stuff I've seen. I don't know if she slid back. I don't know what's going on with that. But a lot of people I listen to, and I listen to a good deal of pox because I have a good deal of pox in my life and uh, throughout my life right now I have a very small social circle but what I'm saying here is this is an agenda we need to recognize the agenda because what's this agenda it's trying to keep us separated this is why we are doing this kind of work and so moving forward with this well the agenda is what makes this hard to talk about which is silly you know what I mean the agenda is why you and I are like kind of like tiptoeing over words right now because it's like we know that it could be heard without any great and that would be the that would be terrible because that's not at all how it would be meant. It, or they'd be hearing it totally literally and not with any sort of like metaphor or like mythical understanding or like greater picture. You know what I'm trying to say? And so it's yeah, the agenda makes everything more complicated because as it tries to control everything, it makes it harder to verbalize what it is actually doing by making it so taboo. Well, because people are being mind entrained to respond to these. This has been a mass trauma event. It it, it arguably since Tavistock took over, but further back, but Mm -hmm. everyone's the key words are absolutely weaponized. Everyone is conditioned through mind entrainment through media to react in a certain Mm -hmm. way when certain words or terms are flashed. And so people like us are trying and, there are a lot of people like us of all colors are trying to say, understand that that is happening and that the division here is the goal because I don't think like that. In fact, I'm so clear about thinking like that. I don't think that I'm, my body has nothing to do with me. Actually, it is my vehicle in which I get around. If I want to, you know, we can talk about, procreation and why we have sexes and all this but that's not what this show is about right here and so Mm -hmm. let's get back to the oscars with this idea though it was very clear and it's been very clear at all these awards that yes that there is an agenda here to continue to keep people in this idea of separation and to keep people in fighting about things in the end at the end, do not matter. What matters is if we can overcome, which was very 1970s, thank you, and move forward and start to see who the real enemies of the people are. And do we understand who they are? Well, one of the ways in which we understand that is through these scripted narratives that we're seeing. And so now let's talk about Liza Minnelli and Lady Gaga. Oh my goodness. Girl. I, I, okay. So I know there's a lot 
of controversy around Liza. I like Liza. I know that she's. I have always loved Liza. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Bad things have been done to her. Like it's a bad situation for Liza, but she's a wonderful like spirit. Right. And I, it was, it was very, I liked seeing her. It did something for me. Lady Gaga is somehow a clone of Liza. I, as she like, she just looked so much like her last night. It was sort of shocking. Well, it got, you know, she even said, I mean, I can't remember the exact words, so it's paraphrasing, but something how she mentioned how she likes to hang out with the icons, right? And so, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some, we'll have to figure that out later, but she made a comment about it. And uh, the fact that they wheeled Liza out, which I did not even realize she was in the condition she's in, I haven't, I don't, no. I was shocked by this because there have been interviews with her recently where her and her sister Lorna left are talking about their life. You know, Judy, you know, Renelle Z- Zellweger had recently done a portraiture of Judy Garland, Liza and Lorna's mother. Oh, right. And so they're out there talking about it. This is an old Hollywood family that comes out of the vaudeville circuit. There's a whole bunch there yes. to talk about. Um, but we're here to talk about the Oscars last night. So Liza gets wheeled out. She clearly has some form of Bell's palsy or something. She's had a stroke or something. That one side of her face is droopy. And she's clearly not capable of doing the little bit of work she's supposed to be there. Where Gaga has to lean in and say, I've got you, basically, and we'll get through this. And you can hear it. So they made it auto. She's saying to her to get her back into like her body. Did you see that? Like Lady Gaga saying like Vilkoman from Cabaret. And then like Liza came back. Like, you know, like, and and it it was weird too, because Gaga did a very famous concert with Tony Bennett where he also had some sort of dementia. Yes. And it just, I don't know. And it got me, it just got me interested in Lady Gaga and how, how she is so capable of handling these yeah these icons that she loves to hang out with it well i don't want to get too woo but um girl our show is will our show is will i just i got the idea basically right out of the privilege where it's like clearly like in in my mind right like i don't have any any tea on this but like when liza is leaving her body like lady gaga will be there to collect that power (laughs) saying like that is the vibe i got from those two (laughs) Yes. Well, and let us not forget. Take that spirit on. Yes, go ahead. Let us not forget the flashing the horns, Helen Miram, right? In this last event, I can't remember what it was. It was just recently, uh, I think, was it the Golden Globes? But where Helen taps Gaga on the shoulder and and does the slayer, right? The horns. And Gaga does it in return. That was very, like, that was awkward. Like, she taps her on the, Gaga's walking away somewhere and Helen taps her and does that. I thought. I did see that. Yes. Weird. Very, very strange. And this, this breaks down into the Oscars too. All these moments felt very, the whole thing felt very awkward and very cringy at times. And it was, it was not well put together, even though we know that it was rehearsed as of course, everything gets approved. Every line gets approved. And that's where we're going to get in with Will Smith here soon. But this Gaga thing was significant if we look at the arc of Gaga and we look at her associations and we look at the stuff she's given us. Now, Gaga gave us one of the best 
videos on black goo. It's iconic. It's out there. She's moving through it. It's, it's just incredible. And it's as mm-hmm. iconic as what Kim Kardashian gave us with the graphene suit, you know, the yes. blacker than the black. Yes. Yes. Blacker than black. Also black goo, sentient goo, all of that silhouette goddess figure. We've both broken this down. And so yes. we've got Gaga with one of the divas. One of the grand divas that is, of course, a lot of these people, at least the few white people that were there, are are old Hollywood families. Yes. But no one more so than Liza Minnelli, who became a grand diva of herself and a queen of the gays. You know, mm-hmm. Cabaret, of course, is one of the, ma- it's on my top hundred list. I love it. Yes. I love, I never get tired of it. It's a fabulous film. And so we've got this queen out there being rolled out. And what you said with Gaga looking like Liza was very interesting because obvious, it's very, very obvious that they are now well into this movement or change of the guard with Gaga. She played the star is born, the Barbara Streisand role, which was played earlier by Judy Garland was one of the versions. Mm -hmm. And so Uh this is a big tie in here. So we have Helen Miram and that, and all, all the people Gaga has been associated with. And then last night, with this, there is a, a switch of power. There's a change of power and they're making it very obvious and putting it in our face. And even though that was a, a little tiny section and it is very much, uh, under the radar because they are doing these things under the radar that, yes. that particular little whatever three minute bit is extremely significant. And we'll get into that later, probably in other shows, but I wanted to make sure that we did not let that go because that is um, something we need would, to talk about. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Lady Gaga's role in the American Horror Story Hotel series, where she plays like the queen of the vampires, like the empress goddess herself. Yes. It's, she was phenomenal in the role, but um, yes, she was a little bit of truth. Yes. That. Um, let us not forget. She's uh, also a pock because two old school Caucasians. If you're an Italian, you are in the POC thing. And I am a quarter Sicilian. Trust me. I, <laughs> I understand uh, that end of it. The, the Italians. Honestly, mm-hmm. so funny to me is that people don't realize that like the scale has changed. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I think generally people don't realize that that has changed over time. Like where it was, it used to be that Ariana Grande would not have been considered a white person. You know what I mean? She would have been Italian, like say like Frankie Valley or something. They were their own thing. Yeah. Oh, totally. And had, and, yeah. And because of that, there, that's why they're, you know, honestly, arguably they were so successful because they had to like build their own empires, like from underground, you know, like that's kind of how it worked. And so, to me, it was always funny though, because she was getting called out for being like, uh, and she was appropriating culture. And I was, I thought she was Hispanic at first, so I didn't even understand it. So, so I wasn't, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. And I think that's obviously intentional with her last name, but, um, according it's like, you can't be POC enough for that crowd and you can't, it's just funny. Like we are, it's, it's such a, and to the point that it is so almost arbitrary, at like a really grand big scale. Like the whole thing is like arbitrary, but like when you get down here, it gets really nasty and things are really real about it. But if you think about it and how transient it is and how much flux it is, it's just the most ridiculous thing in the entire world. 
It is, but it's the narrative we're on. It's part of this enantiodromia. It's part of the new Aquarian experience we're going into. And so there's a lot. Oh, carry on, girl. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, carry on. Strike while the iron's hot, Amy. I was going to say with Lady Gaga, too. Well, two things. One, Lady Gaga was wearing like a sequined tuxedo, right? Which she looked beautiful in, but it was interesting to see her present that way, especially with the whole theme that we're going with. And also just how um, decrepit, like truly, Liza Minnelli looked. Like she was like, she didn't even just like physically look bad. She was like mentally out to lunch. And that they would present that. Like Hollywood knows what they're doing. They know how to make people look good. They know how to like, and they also know how to make people look bad. And it's intentional. And so now that I, now that you've mentioned it and I think about it like for a third time, it's like that they presented like a young, like Verl. She's not that young, but she's young enough. Verl, you know, Lady Gaga next to this very like old disabled, like icon. It was, it, 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 it definitely did do something to like the public or the, the collective consciousness. I think, especially to my mom and the people in her age range, which is like 65 and older. Yes. I think that was striking. And I, and normally they would not, they would not put someone out there looking like they just wouldn't, that's not Hollywood's like style, unless they're trying to get you to like feed the children. They know how to you know, make it look really, really desperate because that Hollywood is truly all about imaging. So it's like the idea that this was not considered and totally, you know, um, intentional is, is, is impossible. <laughs> this was a changing of the guard. It was extremely intentional. And mm-hmm. I think I'm not the only one that was shocked at the state of Liza Minnelli, like I said. Uh, and not. so I want to give a little Hollywood background here. So in the 1920s, when the flappers started being the thing, the 20s and the 30s, there's famous, famous stuff. So we've got to go to one of my favorite all times is Marlena Dietrich. My mother was mm. like, be a Marlena, be a Mae West. What well, Marlena was famous in as Blue Angel, what for wearing the tuxedo, and um, as she's she played Blue Angel, the original, yeah. And I so, never saw that. That's so interesting. Okay, and so um, oh, Marlena is just a whole lesson. But she became she sang Lily Marlene, uh, which was. You know, that's a whole, we, we can go into Marlena some other time. We Pro- definitely we pro- will. Yes. Yes. Actually, we should do a show that is bringing back these old divas and Sean and Chanteuses and ingenues to re, to re, introduce them to people because everything's cycling. And so the suit. The, the tuxedo thing is a big deal. So in the seventies, when the uh cabaret came out that of course it is it's set in the 19 it's like berlin 1930s and it's high flapper era and so liza is we see this in in that culture that women were starting to there was the whole gay subculture happening and berlin Mm -hmm. in the 20s was the place to be because it was all the crazy stuff all crazy and wild and all that flapper stuff people love and there were great art movements of course these all had agendas involved social engineering is nothing new but women were wearing tuxedos it was very fashionable it became very fashionable in the lesbian sub scene there that was part of the Mm -hmm. major scene light it's presented in the movie cabaret and so for gaga to come out and reamalgamate that 
that is a mm. reverberation back to the reality of the times, but the reality of the times were informed by people like Marlena Dietrich, who is playing these roles. And so that's what we have. And we have her take, and of course, it's playing into now the greater role of female ruling, right? The enantiodromia, yeah. female ruling, but female LGBTQ plus community, yes. basically, yes. which so they should just put a W in there. And so that was very significant. And this is representing the changing of the guards. They have been giving it over to Gaga in every arena is what I've noticed. Now, I did not come in as a Gaga fan. And in fact, yeah. when I first saw her, I was like, what is going on with this? Because she got totally pumped into the public and all that. And that's everyone you knows know the like the tea on Gaga and like how she became who she is. Yes. And see, we should we should do something later on that. So let's not okay. get bogged down on all that. But they Thanks are for keeping me focused. <laughs> they are giving it to her, though. It is happening. It's happening in real time. And all I can say is that the Madonnas need to watch out because Gaga is coming for them. And they're allowing Gaga to come for them because she's young enough, right? And yes. so, yes. and now, and of course, now we're in the age of transhumanism. Now we're in the age mm -hmm. of augmented reality. Now we're in the age of digital reality where you don't have to ever look like anything that you don't want to look like or present like because that's the world we're moving into. It's a facsimile. Mm -hmm. So I think for this last bit, we need to move on to the cherry on top, yes. which was the Will Smith thing. So I'm going to just start in with the very first thing I want to pull in the background. And so... We've got to think about who is Will Smith. Will Smith is basically our handsome black savior. He's everything a savior. He's every superhero. You know, he's very handsome. He's very talented. He's very tall. He's very committed in his personal life, allegedly. You know, he's got a strong family unit. The way they put it forward, he's Mr. YouTube. YouTube sponsors him. Yeah. In his movies, he's always saving the world. And then... He saves the world in one of the iterations of I Am Legend from that graphic novel. And I want to really bring this home with this Oscars. So the idea of I Am Legend is something we're living out in the culture right now. We are living out that. It started, you know, the Dark Seekers had the Crippen virus, KV, but Crippen, K can be C, Corona virus, etc. Yes. Crippen virus is very interesting. And this is something that if you remember, they found a cure for cancer and uh, that they all got the vaccine and then the vaccine turned these dark seekers into, and this was all measles, this was all pushing forward off of measles and vaccines and all the stuff that we are living with now, those narratives. Right. And the idea here is, and I think people forget that the dark seekers are very intelligent. They just can't take the, so they lose their hair, they get alopecia and we're going to get into um, that because that's at the core of the narrative tonight. And so they lose their hair, they get an adreno, their adrenos are open, so they have that superhuman 
abilities because it's constantly flowing and of course adrenochrome and uh all that and and they get they they're allergic to ultraviolet light hello purple lights everywhere and they're intelligent they set up snares the the transition happens at a certain pace and um there's two ways in which it's transmittable this and he's our hero of that story remember he's our hero will smith is always a hero he's never a bad guy and this is his tenure so where people are getting divided and of course we can talk about how it it brought the oscars into being relevant again because everyone's watching and they want to see this drama why did they do this they did this because they need to seed this narrative we've got the black horse there's one more horse after the black horse right it's the third Mm -hmm. horse in the play that we are currently witnessing and so we get that scene now everyone said that that joke G.I. Jane two was yes. not was not approved. It wasn't in in the manuscript that you know they approve all this stuff. It was something that was right. just all of a sudden Chris Rock says. And well apparently he said something in 2016 about it too, which I thought I don't know if that's true because I haven't watched, but I thought that was interesting that this would be like the second time he would have said something about her hair but go on go on well the the hair see i'm gonna get to that hair so i know you are oh my god yes i'm sorry and so this is just so the hair is so significant because the hair is signaling the change in humans there is an epidemic right now of people having alopecia and i've had it for 20 some years And, and the proper alopecia where it's like uh just like bald spots in the back of my uh-huh. head in the back of my head and it was never a big deal what what it is a big deal you just learn to deal with it and it grows right. back and you can go i've gone years without having any problem and then you'll get a stress flare up and that's a it's a subject for another time but the thing is now it's epidemic and people like Ricky Lake are coming out and everyone's coming out this whole bald Even Amy Schumer had just come out like truly that day a headline had come out where she was experiencing triplomania, which is where you pull out your hair. Yes. Right. And and so this narrative is at the forefront of everything right now. And what it is, is it's trying to normalize the changes going on with what we're calling loosely the human species. Yes. And I want to make sure this is why I'm talking. I am legend. Right. And our hero and he plays hero last night for us. He's protecting his wife who's been ostracized by a comic on stage. And the only way that was going to be right is if it was pock on pock. And so uh, there was no other way. Meredith pointed out to me too that it was BlackRock. Like there is this like interesting BlackRock connection, yes. which oh, I'm 100%. still playing with. But go ahead, go ahead. Oh yeah, well that's there. That all the words are there. So that plays into it. But let's look at what did Denzel say to him when you're at your height. The devil will come for you. The devil will test you. Yes. And he gives that. And of course, then he gives his tears and he's talking about standing up for your family, doing what's right, um, et cetera. And so if we look at what what broke down with the whole thing is 
I believe, this is just my, I'm postulating here, that because that wasn't in the script, that it was a subscript. Because it's all scripted. It's all scripted. It's a subscript. And so I believe that that was a manipulation intentionally brought out to bring forward the signaling that starts with the third dark horse and moves to the yellow arrow pointing us in from Queen Bee. And of course, we got all this other stuff we've been talking about. And then we have that drama at which, to me, immediately... Of course, we already broke down that it was a punch. It, it wasn't a punch. It was a slap and all that. That was immediately to me, I don't know. I mean, I've been a thespian in my life. And I mean, it yeah. just was absolutely the fakest slap I've ever seen. He didn't even. The I, slap was fake. Yeah. The reaction, he's a really good actor, but he is not a really good slapper. I'll leave it there. <laughs> no, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they're both smirking while it's happening. And then yes. as he smirks on his way out and remember he was laughing at the joke and we had yes. laughed at the joke. We pan in on Jada where she rolls her eyes. Now Jada is there representing the new human yes. because Jada's always been very, very, very androgynous. And yes. I want to point out this is an something very much part of Pac culture. Black mm. women in particular wear hair they wear weaves Mm. they wear extensions Mm -hmm. it is a long time thing you don't talk about it you call it hair it's not a you know you don't call it wigs but it's just part of the culture as is it's part of a certain faction of jewish culture where they don't show their hair so jewish women wear lots of wigging it's part of the community and a lot of people don't realize that with the jews and you know even white women it's interesting because they it's not as um it's it's not as like popular for them to wear wigs but over time over like recently in the last like 20 years i've seen a lot more white women get extensions and i think where you're going with this is that that it's hard on the hair right like all of these wigs and weaves are very difficult on the hair is that no that's not where i'm going no i you know what allow allow me to let you finish my goodness i'm sorry where i'm going with this is that this wearing hair in black culture is normal And we could go back and look at how many times Jada has presented in wigs. I'm going to say hair Mm -hmm. and be respectful in, in hair that was not her hair and Mm -hmm. all, all throughout her career. And it was normal because it's just part of the culture. And of course it's been normalized in, in white culture now for sure. And there were people that brought that up, Uh, you know, Raquel Welsh, when Raquel Welsh, Tori Amos, we could start naming the celebrities that have become famous for wigging and wearing wigs and all this. And, but, but in black culture, it's always been a thing. And, um, and back to Egypt. I mean, we can, we can take this back. And so it's not like it's shocking. It's not shocking. It might be shocking to some people, but it's not shocking. And also in the black power movement, having a short, having it shaved down and stuff was a representation of one's power. And, and so this is, it's not a shocking thing. So the fact that Jade is really 
spearheading this and the way she's on shows talking about it and all this in her own podcast is very interesting. And now if we look at her, and of course, she's always been very androgynous, that jawline, that build, yeah. you know, she's a very strong black woman. And, um, and of course, gorgeous, you know, she's Jada yes, Pickett. And so she comes in, look at her dress she was wearing. This was the, this is Jewel tone green, emerald green. Uh, green's mm-hmm. a big player in our world right now. If people don't know, go down that rabbit mm-hmm. hole. Uh, Billie mm-hmm. Eilish is famously known for this particular green, and uh, it's out there. It's a different the color out of space, you know, um, Lovecraft, mm-hmm. all, all this with, um, there's a, oh, wait, uh, uh, Oh, I can't think of it. It's not the color out of space because that's like a violet and that's at play too. The, um, oh God, I can't think the other, the Lovecraft one, but there's, um, another one where it's the green anyway. And so, so she comes in with this very watery mermaid, long trailed, gorgeous dress, but long trailed, lots of ruffles. And when we see her sitting there, it's all out. You almost have to, you see people like having to walk around her dress and she's front and center. And they so were. And the, the six feet, you know, distancing or whatever they were doing really highlighted and showcased the fact that they were like right there, the main event. I noticed that from the very beginning. Oh yeah. And well, we could break down the, the fact that they were talking the microphones and t- right. on the red car, you didn't see the red carpet. Nobody was social distancing. People were right on top of each other. They're okay. talking in, you know, Laverne Cox. I was watching her live stream and she's talking into the, into the, you know, microphone and she's handing, they're standing like inches apart, three inches, four inches, and she hands it over and they're talking. And there was none of that, none of that going on. The only people you saw in masks were workers. Of course, it's not mandated right now, but right. it was just funny the whole inside with the social distancing because it, it's a, it's a farce. How, but it, what it is is what it was, which is a bending of the knees to this narrative. Yeah. And the changing of the human species is what we're talking about. And so Jada is there representing this Neptunian God form. Oh, yes. Neptunian God form. She is representing the new form. And that green and the cut of that gown is very Neptune, very up out of the depths of the deep water. And also very, I am legend. And so we can't let that go. And that's where I'm going to give it to you because there's a lot more to talk about, but I wanted to bring that in and see what you picked up and then where you're going with this. Well, just to start off with the first thing that comes to mind is a quote from Will Smith. Gosh, like 15 years ago, like they were asking him on the red carpet or something like, how do you always do such? Cause this is at a time when he was really successful. He hadn't had any bombs yet. Like, what, how do you do it? Will? how do you get so successful? How do you pick these scripts? And he said, I always pick movies that feature aliens. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> At that point in time, I'm not into alien movies, whatever. But now we come to today, and it's interesting that he would be sort of like the chivalrous character for this new, and not saying that she's a new species, but what she represents is this new, new was, female form, if nothing else. Yeah. The what? New female form, if nothing else. Yes, the new female form. And, um, so I find that very interesting. Um, I thought the whole thing was, so I, I, like I said, I watched it 
ahead of time. So I was, I, it had happened and I was like behind. So I didn't watch it in sync. And I, and I didn't know that, um, when I was watching, I had no idea it was going to happen. So it was a huge shock. I, I, what I will speak to is the shock it had around the world, which was my mom watched it. Um, she was, she is a very tired old woman (laughs) and she's very lovely, but very sleepy by that time. And she was charged all night watching it. Um, Sean, my man, he did not give two shits about the Oscars, heard about that slap, man. He couldn't, couldn't peel his eyes away after that happened. Um, so it was, had this very magnetic, very like energetically attractive, uh, force to it. And then also if we're talking, so that happened right after they changed the set from the circles to kind of a less, um, Baroque design, let's say. And it did to me signify like the, the beginning and end of something in that, like the biggie Tupac was like the beginning of the East coast, West coast, like that story. And I know that that, um, it's, and, and it just reminds me of like a way that storytellers are able to connote like a beginning and end. And so this was a very big, very energetic display of its, of, of aggression or some sort of, uh, we can talk about what the slap represents and I really think it was like, it was an, a beginning and end of an era. I think we were like opening or closing a new chapter or we were getting a new guard. It was like very clear that once that happened, we had a switch of energy. And then Amy Schumer sort of seamlessly comes in after everything and like makes a joke about, you know, what happened? Like, and then, then Puff Daddy come, or P Daddy comes on and he talks about how, you know, we've just got to like, you know, uh, bridge this like gentleman. And apparently the story this morning is that he works something out with them and it's all fine, which seems just like, okay, I don't know why that had to be a part of the story. I'm still trying to figure that out. And the latest I've heard is that they're debating on whether or publicly they're saying this, they're debating on whether or not to, you know, uh, do something with Will Smith's Oscar. I will say this, that, um, if they don't, do something and there's not more of it to do. It it will seem very funny. And it also, this is the final thing I'll say just as far as public reaction, because my mom is a good gauge on this stuff. She was explaining it to this morning. Cause I told her I hadn't finished it yet. So she didn't think that I had seen it. And she was like, well, Amy, once you see Will Smith, you know, go get his speech and he's crying. And like, she's like, you'll understand why he did it. This woman would not defend a man slapping another man to save her effing life. And the idea that she is like the, the the response it elicited from her, this chain of events was so, it felt so manipulated. It felt just like, wow, like you've really, you know, obviously cause she, she's not like looking for stuff like we are, but you got really taken by this to the point that like, I know that, Sean was like, you know, what if you were at a nice restaurant and someone just slapped another person? Like, what would that make you, how would that make you feel? And I said, forget a nice restaurant. If you're at Costco and someone slaps another person, like it's the most uncalled for, like everyone's attention goes to it. It's such an attention seeking, uh, gesture. And yeah, it was, it was an event that was meant to create a lot of attention gather a lot of Lucian energy, which it's still doing by you and me talking about it in the internet as a buzz. And, um, I don't think it was to get the Oscars drummed up like a lot of people are talking about, but definitely to get the attention on these narratives. I definitely think it's like, 
yeah, maybe they even knew that the Oscars were going to get like zero anything and they needed to get like this piece out. Like they needed to make sure that we were all clued into this piece of the story. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're going to milk this. Everyone's adrenaline junkies right now. So we moved from COVID to Russia, Ukraine to now this, and it's going to continue. So they're going to milk it. They need that. But what they need from this particular thing and the whole idea of the Oscars is to show you what is being scripted and played. It's the movie of the times always. And so, I mean, we could do a whole other show on the movies that were presented and all that, but that's, that's for another day and another time. And this of course is our initial breakdown on this. Not that we're going to do more breakdowns on this, but this is going to braid into whatever we do next. And one of the things I want to point out, and I, I saved this for here is that, If you think about the idea of a slap, when somebody is talking, when, so you slap people to wake them up, wake up, man, Mm -hmm. wake up, woman, slap, slap. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. if they're incoherent, you, you know, you slap them to get them awake. It's almost like smelling salts. Or if they're like out of control, like you would, you know, an airplane that they all line up to slap the silly woman who's, you know, crying. Right. Well, it's a come back to consciousness thing. It's get yes, lucid. Yes. And yes. the point of that is to make sure that everyone is contracting with <gasps> the new yes. agenda. We have moved into a new phase and they opened it up with the black horse with blue ivy on it. And so in Compton. And so you've got to understand that this is all tied in as one cohesive piece, including milking everyone's loose, milking the internet and keeping people even deeper involved in something that is going on that is fake. It's theater. It's ritual theater. It just showed you what the play is, but it's going to keep you distracted into all these sub narratives. It's going to push you further away from what you need to be focused on, which is looking at what's actually going on in the realm around you. What is really changing? And they gave it to us so clearly about the new species. I couldn't, uh, everything I looked at, everything I looked at, and then all the stuff I didn't look at, just looking at titles and stuff, is telling me we are coming into normalizing the new way in which we are going to be seeing humans look. And that's a big deal here. The crocodile tears, this is equivalent to the old school end of the show because this is where he drives in the narrative. This is where he drove in the idea of what he was doing was for the betterment, was for the good of. He is the hero again, even though he's being criticized and there, there you know, there's all this hoopla about it. I mean, look at Jesse Smollett. Come on, you know. Yes. I mean, we've yes. got oh, nobody's going to pay. No, there's nothing unless they he agreed to it in, in the beginning. Everything that right. comes out of this between him and Chris Rock is already agreed to. They're playing that narrative. Right. You bet you a hundred dollars, and so. 
he had to drive the narrative in. He gives you the action. The action's tied into all the stuff we're talking about. And then he tells you, as the hero of the story, why he did what he did and why he was saving everyone that is the family unit. He's the savior. He is the hero of the story. And remember, we project upon him. And of course, of course, he's tied into aliens and saving the world because that's Will Smith's main archetypal imaging. It's been that way since the 80s. Yes, since the beginning, which is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which always, like, call me crazy, but it always read to me as Prince of the Air, which was like, you know. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And of the common folk. He came up out of the common, and Jada Pickett's got the same story with when she was doing, I can't even remember that first film, but she was like the common girl. She was the girl everyone wanted. I remember back in the day when she came on the scene, and, you know, everyone, you know, those eyes, and, you know, Shorty, and how beautiful she was, but she was a strong woman at the same time. And then let's not forget, she played Fish Mooney in Gotham, and the series Gotham is fucking amazing it was a i think an abc series as well and um people want to underestimate what that was telling us and you and i need to do it do definitely a deep dive on gotham because we're living in gotham right now and it is the time of superheroes and supervillains and it is the time of chaos and lawlessness and fish mooney was a role that jada pickett played and what did she present to us last night very very fishy right very mermaid long green fish mooney um the the shaved the whole thing is just so beautifully braided together and so i don't know on close i'm gonna let you have the closing on this because we do want to keep these at two hours and there's a lot more to go into but i think we are really talked about a lot of relevant stuff here and i think for sure we've probably brought a lot to the table that others are not bringing to the table yeah you know the the final thing i would probably say is that like look okay i'm going to use the word mutant here and i need us all to turn off like our mind control and like think of what a mutant is which is just someone that's different right that is mutated to their surroundings or like adapted let's say and so i think at this point it is fair to say if you were living on the planet earth in 2022 in the material existence you have some sort of mutant abilities or capabilities. Something has mutated. There's just too much radiation. There's too much everything. I don't even mean that's done by the them or the they. That's done by just like the the cosmic forces, right? And I think that is changing a lot of people. Now we also have the added layer of the they, right? And like, what are they doing? And I think that is also doing a lot. I don't know. I just think that um, the cosmic forces, Forces. So you have people that are mutating in basically two different expressions, though, for just to speak in binary terms. And some of them are going to be mutations that are not going to be so, like, pretty and so wonderful, and they might not really help people in, like, this traditionally beneficial way. And then I think you're going to have another side of mutants, which would be sort of like the X-Men expression, where you're going to have a lot of people that are strengthening, and it may not be physically manifested, but it might be emotionally or spiritually manifested. That's what I was trying to say, is that the bifurcation of mutants. And I think that that's where we are. And I think that what you were speaking to with Jada Smith and with Will Smith 
I think that I've linked that in my mind, basically, <laughs> like that I, I see it as we're usher, we're definitely ushering on like a new age of the Aquarians. And I think because of just like the weirdness of our culture, I don't know if it's the rest of the world, but I definitely can speak for American culture that we are all some sort of like mutant species, in my opinion. Oh, I'm with you. I'm totally with you there. And, and I'm going to wrap up on that note basically as well, that if you want reptilians, you're getting it because what is, what is Jada representing? She's representing something out of the water with that outfit, with Fish Mooney in Gotham, with the green. And reptilians are amphibians too. Remember, they, they fall into that category and that a lot of people think more in terms of say like alligatory type things. Yes. Well, we've got, a lot of frog-like stuff going on. And if people are, and remember the transformation that goes from tadpole, right? So I think people need to start thinking about when they hear the word reptilian in terms of the diversity within that realm out in the natural world that we already know and understand and have a relationship with. And the reptilian stuff is very intriguing back to Pfizer, back to our main guy at Pfizer with the crazy neck and looking very amphibian-like. And we think about the stuff that is talked about, as certainly at the Cosmic Salon, I was talking about this in the very beginning, before the proof came in, because as a psychic, I have to wait you know, to get validated. But when I was talking about all that live stuff and those vaccines that are getting put into people, the larva and the eggs and all this stuff, the hydras, et cetera, before I knew all that, I just knew that that stuff was in there and I was talking about it. This is now what we are seeing expressed to us at the third phase of this. So the Christians get their dark horse, right? The, yes. the ET people get the reptilians, uh, the, the, the surface level drama people get, get that. They get, everyone got fed out of here. This fed every narrative that's out there. It really did. And it's interesting when you bring up the amphibian thing, because there, remember that part, maybe you didn't see the segment. It was a segment where they walked through a museum. It's, um, I can't remember who's doing it. It's some yes, with Wanda star. Stikes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And she goes through and they highlight the red shoes and they talk about the black and white, different variations of um, Dorothy's costume for when she was not yet in Technicolor. And then they go kind of from that to this movie that won, I think in 2020 or maybe 2019 called the shape of water. Yes. Which was a really weird movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I don't think I need to. Oh, you need to see it, Amy. See it. Okay. Okay, I'll see it. We'll talk. See, now I have reasons to see these things. <laughs> but um, it, just seeing that character, it was like very clear to me we were dealing with some very Neptunian, like Piscean sort of like energy. And it was interesting that they went in a flow from like the, the this, this museum from Dorothy and somewhere over the rainbow to The Shape of Water, which was actually a very obscure film, although an Oscar winner, not very popular. And so it was a very interesting choice. And even at the time, not thinking about what we're talking about now, it struck me as like, why would they, of all the things they're going to show, why would they show The Shape of Water? Because it's just... 
it's, it, I don't, it just struck me as weird. It always stood out as like, this is such a strange story to like link up with all the things that we're talking about. I'm really glad you brought that up because I'd forgot I did watch that clip. And, yeah. uh, and there's a lot in that clip. There's a lot of social yeah. signaling and a kind of a lot of grossness with all that. But oh. so we do get to see that creature and that creature looks very much like the creature from the Black Lagoon. The, the yes. Shape of Water is a must watch film. It's extremely important to people following this narrative. But Wanda also says, doesn't this look a little bit like Aquaman? And mm-hmm. so we get Jason more. Jason was all over that stage last night for no reason, except yep. for a little bit of character in Dune, but there's no reason to have him there for that. He was everywhere. Right. And so that's why I keep saying with this reptilian thing, I think people, if they turn their eyes away from what they think reptilians are, and I'm not saying that what they think they are is not what they are because I believe just like look at the million flavors of homo sapiens really. And I think though that the deep water is a big thing. Nobody knows what's going on down there Mm -hmm. and that this Mm -hmm. amphibious water situation is a big deal and that's a, a show for another time but this is the perfect note to wrap up our first entanglement from our new show that we are both so excited about what we've named the show Amy D you did such a good job calling us the prima donnas of the gutter because it, we're talking about the prima donnas of the gutter and then yes. we could also be those this is a new endeavor that I'm so happy we're doing Amy D we have oh so yeah. much territory to cover and for people listening to us our goal right now is to have a show every two weeks or two a month and unless something pops up then we're going to cover it and we are going to get our shit together and make this turn this into a video enabled show Mm -hmm. so look for more from us and with that i love you amy d i'm very excited about this i'll let you have the closing words before we close out Oh my gosh, I'm just so excited to be doing this. I feel like my like lifetime of crazy, bizarre knowledge about culture and esotericism is like coming together finally, and I've been doing this for a reason. But um, I'm so excited to be doing this with you, and I hope that everyone at home gets to have like a new or an enhanced way of looking at uh, reality because we are in the age of augmented reality, so you better be in charge of that shit, you know? It's getting curiouser and curiouser. Yes. (laughs) So the prima donnas of the gutter are signing out. Thank you for joining us.